This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Before we get to this week's show, I want to introduce you to a special guest and one of my favorite colleagues, Kai Wright. Hi, Kai. Hey. Kai, you host a podcast called The United States of Anxiety here at WNYC Studios. And I have to say, that feels like the most apt podcast title. (laughs) 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 Like, every week it feels like an apt podcast title, and then it keeps feeling more and more apt as the weeks go on. You're telling me, sister. (laughs) So how would you describe what this show is about? Well, I guess it's two things. One is that it just became clear to me in the course of making this show over the last four years of presidential politics, that like how little we, all of us, we being, you know, black and white, left and right, how little we know about this idea of America that we feel so strongly about. (laughs) You know, it's ruined. It needs to be great again. It's never great. But so few people really know the history. And so, and, and we think that matters in our politics today, how ignorant we are about that history. And so what we're doing is going back, looking at the period following the Civil War when we came up with all the things that, you know, that shape what America is, all the, all the ideas about equality and freedom, uh, and thinking about the things that were unresolved in that moment, the debates we didn't mm. finish, and how they show up in individuals' lives today and then telling stories about that. Yeah, I, that's what I love about this season, that, like, I turn it on thinking it's going to be a show about what I'm worried about in this moment in America. And you're so reminding all of us that these are not new worries. These worries all have yeah. deep historical antecedents. One of my favorite episodes so far this season is about the school district in Marin County, yeah. which is in the Bay Area where I live, about segregation today in this school district. And it's all of the historical reasons why the schools look like they do right now. Now and how that's affecting elementary school students today yeah. right here in the Bay yeah. Area. Um, you're also asking your listeners right now in general what they're worried about. Like, what are you hearing? Yeah. Well, we figured out we started this podcast in the during Donald Trump's first campaign, and it became very clear how much just like our personal anxieties shape our politics, again, left, right, mm-hmm. and center. Um, and so that's why we've called it the United States of Anxiety. That's why we're asking people what they're anxious about to try to get a sense. And I mean, it's the, the answers are epic. <laughs> you know, I keep saying, mm-hmm. like, I want to hear about things like in your personal life, but that's not where people are at. People are concerned about civil war. <laughs> they've said they've concerned about, like, I don't want to have a kid because of climate change. They, I mean, they're massive. They're concerned about violence. There's a lot of people concerned about violence. So I, I've been taken by just the size of people's anxieties as they go into the polls this year. And Kai, I feel like right now we're adding a whole other thing that people haven't been worried about, which is like disease and contagion and our 
personal health and its relationship to our fellow residents and citizens. And that's why you and I this week are going to be opening the phones to our listeners and asking, what are you worried about as it relates to the new coronavirus, COVID-19? We want to hear what you are anxious about, how you are coping, how it's making you sort of understand your relationship to other people in different ways. There's a lot to talk about. So we're taking your calls live from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time this Friday. That's 12 to 1 p.m. Pacific. And the number to call is 844-745-8255. Kai and I are going to be co-hosting this live call-in special that we'll then play for you in our respective podcast feeds. And we will post on social media, too, as we are opening the phone lines. Again, that's 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern, 12 to 1 Pacific, this Friday, March 13th. Can't wait. And Kai, do you know what our show is about today? I don't. Something a lot of us worry about and don't talk about a lot, which is why we're not having sex. Something totally different (laughs) than (laughs) COVID-19. I know why I'm not having sex right now. It's got everything to do with COVID-19. I, I know. It's it's pretty, I guess it is pretty timely. We asked our listeners this question a few years back, and they gave us a whole slew of reasons at the time, and it became one of our favorite episodes ever. So listen to it, and then look for the United States of Anxiety. You can find it at wnyc.org slash anxiety, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you on Friday, Kai. I can't wait. It just... uh became easier not to have sex, (laughs) you know, just to keep the peace. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Don't let them bother you. It's okay not to have sex. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I have not had sex with my husband for years. And need to talk about more. I'm tired of not having sex. I'm Anna Sale. A few months ago, we got an email from a listener I'll call Marie. I'm 34 years old, and I haven't dated anyone seriously. I've never even been kissed before by anybody. Marie has also never had sex. I do still have that fear that somebody, I'm going to tell somebody that I've never had sex before, and they're going to walk away. You know, instead of a scarlet letter A, it would be a scarlet letter B. Not having sex, ever before or just right now, can feel isolating, maybe a little embarrassing. But we suspected that Marie's not alone. So a few weeks back, I asked you this question. Why are you not having sex right now? Mm. (laughs) I'm not having sex because men don't find me attractive. Because my body's broken and it can't seem to be fixed. I'm really terrified. Of men. I've been celibate for about 14 years. And the weird thing is that I'm okay with it. I would rather read a book than be intimate with him. We heard from people who wish they were having sex. Uh, I'm not having sex because, like the old Barry Manilow uh, song, the feeling's gone. I don't know how to get it back. We haven't even slept in the same room in over seven years. I've stopped initiating kind of to wait him out, and we've been in a stalemate. We also heard from people who aren't having sex because they don't want to be. I'm all right with being single and sexless. I wasn't really liking the path where I was going, kind of using sex and other people as a crutch. No matter what the reason, sex, especially when you're not having it, can be so hard to talk about. On my birthday, I brought it up, and 
I started a huge fight. It's still something we don't talk about at all among our friends. Both of us have a significant amount of friends who are in like heterosexual relationships and it always seems like they're having way more sex. That's Sarah. She's been with her girlfriend Claire for about two and a half years. They asked that we not use their real names, as did most people in this episode. I think we started out having way more sex than we do now. Yeah, definitely teetered off. About how many months has been your longest stretch of of not having sex together? Two or three months, I would say. Which was, it was quite a, you know, a cliff dive compared to what we were doing before. (laughs) Does it feel frustrating or does it feel okay when you have stretches of no sex? Uh, I think do you want to I go first? Where we have, well, and I think this is where we have differing views. And I, for me, you know, if if I'm not having sex after a certain point, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not having sex. That's fine. And I think for Sarah, she's more on the mindset of, I want to be having more sex. Why are we not having sex? And it becomes more of a stress factor. So, Sarah, what do you, what happens when you're feeling frustrated? I don't know. I tend to kind of bottle everything up and just, I keep it inside and I, you know, like metaphorically, I say I put a lot of things in my backpack and I just carry it around and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And then it just comes to a point where I just explode and everything comes out at once. Well, and I think this is definitely something that we don't know how to figure our way out of right now. I mean, for me, when I'm feeling like we don't have that communication or when we are, if we're arguing, I don't want to have sex. I feel like disconnected from her. And for me, that disconnect wins over the desire to have sex. When you're in a moment where, Claire, you're not really feeling like having sex and Sarah, you'd really like to have sex. Do you, do you touch or, or does that create sort of a, an impasse where you don't really want to be close to each other? Um, I think when I want to have sex, I kind of, I don't know, like I do this thing where I'll just like run across the room and like jump on top of her and like, you know, start kissing her and cuddling her and just like being kind of silly. And sometimes, you know, when I do that, I like don't get much of a reaction from her. She's just like, I'm I'm busy or I'm thinking or I'm doing something. And then I'm just kind of uh, down and just like, you know, roll over and go back to doing whatever I was doing before. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Or there's a mixed signal or a missed signal. And I think there are times when it's very obvious that that's what she's going for. But again, it's like, well, I don't know that jumping on me like a little kid does makes me feel like hot. I'd prefer someone to make me feel like sexy versus silly. Does it sometimes feel like when you talk about your tensions around sex that it makes the tensions more difficult? Uh, I think so, but <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, I I like that we put it out there. I I for me, I think sex is a it's a bigger part of a relationship and. I don't know. I miss it. You miss it. I miss it, yeah. I don't really miss it. Cameron sent in this voice memo from St. Louis. I miss the intimacy, um, which 
sex is an essential component of. But I don't miss sex removed from any of that context. I um, have dealt with chronic back pain issues since I was 19. I'm 27 now. Um, Sex is so physical. It's a moment when you're deeply vulnerable in your physicality and you need to be present as somebody with a body. Um, And when you're in pain on kind of a minute-to-minute basis, all you want to do is forget that you have a body and you can't escape that during sex. You can't escape your body during sex. That's something that Ellen has also been thinking about lately. Why aren't you having sex right now? Um, because I contracted herpes in June. Were you in a relationship with a person that you got herpes from? No. Um, it was a casual friendship and somebody that I had known for a short time, but I mean, I trusted him. Oh, fuck. If I could just go back. Prior to that, had you been pretty regularly sexually active? Like, off and on. Um, I've had a couple boyfriends, and then I've gone through times, and I, like, you know, I've gone, like, two years without having sex, and it wasn't a huge deal. Does it feel different this time? Yeah. Yeah, it feels really different. It feels like there's, like, something hanging over me. Like, it's not just like, oh, I'm not, not having sex. It's like, if somebody comes along, I'm not, I'm not really sure how to handle that situation because you'll have to talk about it oh yeah i almost can't get past like the the barrier of telling somebody and having to deal with potential rejection have you had any flirtations since you found out about your diagnosis yeah and one in particular we have a past history and it's like he's back in my life and We've been friendly, um, but I can't imagine it would just be a friendship. And so there's that whole idea of like, oh man, what if something happened? And then on top of that, like what, how would I, oh my God, how would I deal with this? Like, I keep thinking, maybe maybe he has it too, so it doesn't have to be a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe my dreams will come true and he has it too. I've never thought of myself as hoping somebody has herpes. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I try, I try to find a humor in things. Jihan wrote in about how her body is affecting her sex life. She's black and lives in L.A. And she says she's not having sex because men just don't seem interested in her. At least not any men that she'd want to be with. I tend to attract... Um, Men who fetishize black women. (laughs) But when Jihan leaves the country, everything changes. She first noticed it when she studied abroad. I was so not used to being approached by men that I didn't (laughs) didn't realize I was being sort of asked out. Um, And I remember even, like, writing home to, like, friends and you guys. I get asked that on dates, like, when I was in the U.K. (laughs) 
And um, it's really like a light comes on when I leave the country, even if I'm just going to Canada. And the light sort of turns off when I'm back. It shows you it's not you, it's the culture in your country. Yeah, it just makes me feel like I don't have to feel terrible about myself. You know, I can feel like I am still the same interesting person that then wanted to date abroad. I just, uh, I can't find the same thing here. And that's why, like, I really love that episode of Parks and Rec where there, I think it's a Venezuelan delegation, like, comes to Pawnee and, like, all of the men in the Venezuelan delegation, like, are really interested in Donna. And she goes, I'm not surprised. I do very well in South America. And I was just like, yes, 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 yes. Finally, somebody gets what I've been talking about. Coming up, meet a man who has not one but two women in his life whose friends don't understand why he's not having sex. A lot of them are still single. Um, you know, I guess that might have something to do with it. This episode first came out in 2015. And over the years, we've gotten updates from some of the people who shared their stories with us. Sarah and Claire, the couple you heard at the beginning of the episode, broke up a few years back. It wasn't because we weren't having sex. I think we were just, not I think, I know we were just wanted different things in life and were drifting apart and heading different ways. That's Sarah. She's since moved to another country and has dated several other people since she and Claire ended their relationship. I still have the belief that if you're not having sex, something is is not going well in your relationship. Jihan let us know that she isn't dating anyone right now. She tried the apps again recently, but didn't have any luck. I've traveled abroad for romance or dating since 2015, she wrote, and I'm making a plan now to spend large chunks of the year out of the country. And we heard from Ellen again, the woman who told us about not having sex because she was diagnosed with herpes. Life is drastically better, she told us. When she wrote, she was still having frequent outbreaks, but was dating and had disclosed her STI to her partner. I'm totally having sex, she wrote. Having to be honest about herpes made it a lot easier to be honest about my feelings, my preferences, and in general, how I express myself. We did a whole episode about living with STIs last year. You can find that by texting STI to the number 70101, and we'll send you the link. If you want to share your story about why you're not having sex, or about anything else, send us an email or record a voice memo and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode... I am very stuck on the notion that just because something ends doesn't mean it's a failure. I talk about the beginning and end of a marriage with Ben Sinclair, who co-created the HBO series High Maintenance with his now ex-wife, Katya Blickfeld. I didn't trust that I could take care of myself, you know. I don't think I, I, don't think I got the, the confidence that I could be an adult male who wasn't like that people weren't worried about until recently very recently even and I still struggle with not engaging in dependency
This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Part of what can be so hard about not having sex when you want to be is figuring out how much is under your control. Like for Marie, the 34-year-old virgin at the start of the episode. I've been like, forget about it. I'm just going to go out and have a one-night stand and just kind of get rid of my virginity. She works as a therapist, where she helps her clients change the things they can about themselves and accept what they can't change. Marie's tried to do both with her virginity. I think when I was much younger, I had this idea that, you know, I would get a boyfriend and it would just just happen. Um, At other points in time, I even thought about, like, kind of propositioning a friend of mine so that I can say, I've had sex with somebody, I'm not a virgin anymore. You know, it's not this cross I have to bear any longer. But when I thought about it, it wasn't, that wasn't who I am. It's taken me a little while to, to kind of get to a place where I'm okay with that. So you're hearing from clients about the most intimate details of their lives, including Mm -hmm. in some cases their sex lives. Yep. How has that, how has being in this position where you get to hear people's deepest histories, how's that shaped the way you think of your own experience? Um, I listen with, I, I think it's probably a bit of fascination mm-hmm. that other people probably would not have um, because it, I, it just fascinates me sometimes the way how open people are. There's definitely some jealousy there because this is a part of their life that they are, many of them are fully enjoying, or so they're telling me, um, and I don't get to enjoy that part of it at this point in my life. Yeah. You're curious. I am. I definitely am. Do you think people assume that you have a ton of sex? Oh, yeah. They just think everything is like threesome, orgy, heaven I'm living in. And nobody believes me. Mike wrote in from Michigan. I'm in a happily married relationship that turned into a uh, triad with our girlfriend at the time. We sleep all next to each other every night. We eat dinner together. Um... Unfortunately, the uh, relationship had a breakdown, and sex is the the issue that we always seem to fight over. So it's you and your wife and your girlfriend. And when you opened up your marriage and, and, and brought this other woman into your relationship, was it sexual at first? Was it primarily a sexual reason? Well, uh, n- <laughs> not so much for me. You know, my wife, uh, she enjoyed being with uh, women. So, honestly, when we started talking about it, you know, I, I was excited, <laughs> you know, um, to to with the whole uh, idea of being able to be with two women, you know. Uh, it's supposed to be the ideal fantasy for a guy, you know. Uh, well, it started off that way, um, unfortunately, you know, it, it, once my wife and my girlfriend's, they got in an uh, argument, and after that, they refused to be sexual with each other. 
And then they became jealous of any encounters we had <laughs> with either my, me and my wife or me and my girlfriend um, to the point where they'd get physical, they'd fight. And like I say, it just became easier not to. How long has it been since you've had sex? Well, um, I think maybe the, uh, January 21st, 2014, that was the uh, 10th anniversary of me meeting my wife. And uh, I think there was one other night with, with my girlfriend. So it's been about a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss sex? Sometimes, but we because we, we've been doing this for so long that I don't even have the desire anymore. It, it, I feel like it's like Pavlovian. Huh. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've touched, you know, I've got shocked so many times. I feel like conditioned. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about breaking up? It's it's hard because we made a life together. I mean, there are a million married couples out there right now who do do not have sex anymore, and they stay together because they have a life together. Just because there's three of us doesn't mean we don't have a life. That this isn't a family. I, I uh, about eight months ago, I broke out in shingles. <laughs> And neither of them had had chicken pox, and they were still there with rubber gloves on, rubbing the, the, the ointment we got on them. Taking care of you, yeah. They, they do. They take care of me. And, and even though they are jealous of each other, they love each other. Uh, it, you, to, see, to see the everyday acts of devotion, I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I, I still smile. Don't get me wrong. There's sometimes, you know, it, it's an issue. Um, you know, the issue comes up. But honestly, I prefer to avoid, we avoid the subject. It's, it's just not even something we talk about anymore. So when your sex life breaks down... Sometimes your communication goes with it. But other times, not doing it requires a lot of talking. I believe that sex was created to be used to glorify God in marriage. Vanessa's in her early 20s. She lives in Canada, and she and her boyfriend have been together for about a year and a half. They're both Christians, and both want to wait until marriage. But it hasn't always been easy. We sometimes are like, okay, like, we just need to step away from each other and even, like, not sitting on the same couch. Like, <laughs> sometimes we'll just wave from across. And <laughs> Do you find, is one of you the enforcer more often than the other? You know, I think that in relationships you would assume that the girl is more of the enforcer. But I think that it's really equal between us and that... We are both, we kind of take turns being like the bad cop in a way, because it is a difficult thing. And when you like love someone and you want to be with them and uh, like give to them as like a partner, then it's difficult. Like it's a difficult struggle because it's not just like, oh, I don't want to have 
sex before I'm married. It's that, like, there's something that I want to give you that I can't right now. How did you decide what level of intimacy was okay? It's been, an, a, like, a journey through that. And originally we talked and we had a super awkward conversation where we laid out everything basically that could be appropriate and everything that wasn't. And what I really appreciate about our relationship was that wasn't like a hard and fast rule, but it's been a moving conversation since then. And if we feel that something isn't working, then we're going to take it out. What is something that you've, you thought might be okay and then realized, actually, we need to tighten the boundaries on this? Um, like sitting on his lap while we're making out, like that's an issue that we've gone back and forth about maybe three or four times. What's your your current position on that? I think currently we're okay with it, uh-huh. but subject to change. <laughs> <laughs> Daphne got married when she was 28, and she also didn't have sex until after she was married. But for her, it wasn't for religious reasons. How long have you been with your husband? We've been married about five and a half years. So when you started dating your husband when you were when you were just beginning your relationship, how did you talk about sex? Uh, well, basically we didn't. <laughs> Um, you know, we did kind of fool around, but we never progressed to intercourse. Um, he kind of tried to one night and I just told him I wasn't ready and he never tried again. And, um, you know, time just kind of progressed. (laughs) And when did you have sex? Uh, About five months ago. So after about five years of marriage? What happened between when you got married and and when you had sex? I would say a lot of crying, a lot of fighting, (laughs) a lot of therapy. Basically, I was raised with a uh, sexual education that kind of revolved around the idea of just don't have any. (laughs) I was raised with a lot of fear surrounding pregnancy, Like, if you get pregnant and you're not married, it's going to ruin your life. That kind of put a big block there. And even though I was in a relationship and wanted to, there seemed to be a lot of kind of psychological effects and some physical effects that kind of made it not happen. When when you were married for first a year and then two years, then three years and then four years without having sex... Did it, did it feel like your marriage was ever in jeopardy? I definitely felt that way on my side. Um, I've, I've discussed those feelings with my husband, and I, I don't believe he experienced it in that way. But for me, I definitely was like, if I, if I don't fix this soon, he's going to get fed up and leave me. What have you learned from your therapy? Oh, man. (laughs) What haven't I learned, really? (laughs) Um, I think a large part of it really comes down to not just physical intimacy, but real emotional intimacy with somebody. Because even when we do, you know, exercises from our therapist dealing with the more physical aspects, the root of it all really came down to just building that sense of trust with each other 
that I think was finally able to lay the groundwork for it to happen. What was sex like? It, uh, it was, it was great. (laughs) Um, my, my therapist had kind of told us, you know, I feel like you've built up a lot of momentum. So go home this week, try it. If like, don't, don't worry about having orgasms. Don't worry about being mind blowing sex. Just try insertion. And, um, when we were in bed and I was about to try, I had this very conscious moment of just fear and like, oh God, am I really about to do this? Am I really ready? And then another side of me was like, hell yes, you're ready. Like stop worrying and analyzing about being ready and just do it already. (laughs) So I did and it was, it was fun. And I would say I was actually surprised by how not shaken I was by it. It was definitely a load off. Has having sex made you experience desire in a more intense way? I would say yes. Yeah. Which I I think sometimes maybe takes my husband aback a little bit. (laughs) He's a little shy. Um, So I think me all of a sudden being very interested in sex and pursuing him can sometimes feel a little shocking for him, maybe. We kind of had a laugh about it in those first few weeks after we finally did it. Um, and I was, you know, really flirting with him a lot. One night he came home and I, I jokingly, you know, pushed him against the wall and kind of melodramatically ripped his, like the top button of his shirt came off and flew across the room. And he, he was just like, Whoa, take it easy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so then you're back on the merry-go-round of, oh, I'm rejected. And, oh, no, I wasn't rejecting you. I just was surprised. And, you know, yes. that's where the therapy kicks in. Yes. <laughs> and you bounce back on those things a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. That's the story of many, many a marriage right there. Right. That's a listener we called Daphne. Since we talked back in 2015, she and her husband have had a baby daughter. She wrote to us, now we're navigating a new side of the same coin, how to manage having a sex life after having a kid. She also added that she's reading a lot of sex-positive parenting books, so her daughter eventually has an easier time with sex than she did. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Afi Yellow Duke, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Ayo Osbamiro. Special thanks to James Ramsey and Destry Sibley for their help with this episode. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And thank you to Jordan Daniels in San Francisco, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Jordan and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And mark your calendars for this Friday, March 13th. We're going to be taking your calls all about coronavirus and the ways it's affecting your routines and how you're thinking about your relationships to others. Thank you to all of you for sharing your stories for this episode. And a special shout out to those of you not having sex. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 
I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Decoder Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts, or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks.